Hey everyone, it's Jackie and Anita. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. There's a lot going on in the crypto world as always, but we are especially excited because we are having a crypto event in Miami on November 17th. And we're having a lot of great speakers. And one of them is CZ, the CEO of Binance. He's going to be there. And he is super relevant right now because of his involvement and investment in the Twitter Elon Musk deal. We're going to talk about that later in today's show. Right. But I thought we might as well (laughs) just dive into the news because there's a lot to say. I'll take it away. So basically, the Bitcoin mining world isn't looking too hot. In recent months, the price of Bitcoin has been wavering near about $20,000, and a few other factors are applying pressure to miners. Earlier this week, London-based Bitcoin miner Argo Blockchain said it had a deal to raise $27 million, or about 24 million pounds, from strategic investors, but that fell through. And as a result, its shares fell over 77% in the past month on both the London Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. Separately, Core Scientific, the largest Bitcoin miner by computing power, warned investors last week that it may have to explore bankruptcy if it can't improve its financial standing. Its shares also plummeted about 87% over the past month. Unfortunately, the pain does not stop there, and another firm, Compute North, filed for bankruptcy in September after owing up to $500 million to at least 200 creditors. So there's a lot of pain going on in the Bitcoin mining world right now. Yeah, this is wild. Basically, yeah. It kind of reminds me almost (laughs) of like a couple months ago when we were seeing all of these DeFi protocols like slowly start to unravel. And I feel like this week has been just like one Bitcoin miner after another. I guess part of it almost like could be anticipated because of the Ethereum merge, right? With you know, Ethereum sort of gaining some ground and gaining some traction and then moving away from proof of work. Yeah, definitely. And I I agree with you on that, Anita. It's very similar to what we saw with BlockFi, Celsius, Voyager. Like, it felt like the dominoes just kept falling and no one had like a perfect answer why, but there were a lot of reasons that contributed to each of their kind of like downfalls or implodement. But basically what's going on with miners is obviously they're struggling right now. And there's a lot of reasons contributing to that. The biggest ones are definitely like spiking energy prices and historically low hash prices, which are cutting into miners' profits. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's a hash price? Let's, let's yeah, hold up. One step ahead of you, Anita. Basically, hash Always price <laughs> is a metric that determines the market value for each unit of hashing power. It's set through changes in Bitcoin mining difficulty, which... Go figure, it's extremely high right now. And the price of Bitcoin, which as we know, is pretty low compared to the all-time highs we saw almost a year ago. And so the hash price has fallen about 80% since the year ago period. So things are not going well for miners and they're really not getting the profits that they want. And the future is unclear. I think the other the other issue with like the miners, right, is the regulatory like challenges that they've been facing. I know that, you know, most of the miners for Bitcoin used to be based in China and then China cracked down on that. Now most of them are US based, but it's not like US states have been particularly friendly to them either. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I feel like in certain states, some have been friendlier and others like New York have been really strict about it. Back in April, some Bitcoin mining execs from Core Scientific and Hut8 took to the stage at FTX and Salt's Crypto Bahamas event, and they talked about crypto mining and the future of it all. And one of the major focus points they did discuss was the need for regulatory clarity. So that is a really big point, Anita. You're definitely right about that. They also surrounded the attention on maximizing efficiency and sustainability, which 
kind of <laughs> foreshadowed what we're seeing today. Core Scientific CEO Mike Levitt said at the time that they wanted to bring down costs and the focus is on the issue of power provision. So this is something maybe, you know, they saw ahead of time and now it's just something they had to share with their shareholders. I guess my question is how? Like, how are they planning <laughs> on becoming more energy efficient? I mean, the price of energy is what it is, right? Yeah, so they actually discussed renewable energy as a source. And initially, for Bitcoin miners, it was too expensive to use renewable energy. But now that the price of energy is extremely high, renewable energy might not be as bad of a bet. So Yeah, I recall yeah. this was like a big debate kind of last year when everyone was talking about the environmental impact of blockchain and of Bitcoin specifically, where it's I feel like the data is still a little bit unclear as to exactly what percent of mining is actually done using renewable energy. But there are some studies that showed that even last year was some like 70% of mining was done through renewables. I feel like personally, like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of like, you know, Bitcoin maxis were like, oh, that means that Bitcoin is still good for the environment and it's not a problem, but like it's still energy use at the end of the day. And there's still other sources that that could be going to. I mean, there's a lot of nuances here too. Like I've heard about some different startups that are pretty innovative that are doing things like using flared gas, which would otherwise be wasted to mine. Mm -hmm. And some people have said that you can use basically the extra energy that's not being used from the grid in order to stabilize the grid. So I know like Kathy Wood and Jack Dorsey, who are big Bitcoin stands, were all about making that argument and saying like this could actually help stabilize the energy grid in the U.S., but I'm not totally sure that I buy that argument. Yeah, I've definitely heard that before, too. It's uh, a chain reaction not to use our podcast name, but <laughs> there's always something like if it takes away something from the environment, it's going to add something else that's toxic. There's no perfect answer here, even in the renewable energy front. But going back to kind of the situation that's unfolding right now, one source told me that recovery in this situation is centered around either the price of Bitcoin increasing, haha. <laughs> wouldn't, or, wouldn't that be nice, right? Everyone's yeah. holding their breath for that to happen. Good yeah. luck, fam. It's not just the miners who want that, for sure. And that could raise the hash price and reduce pressure on miners. Or the difficulty of mining decreasing, which is highly unlikely since there are so many miners out there and new generation mining machines coming out, which makes it harder to mine Bitcoin. So isn't the difficulty increasing sort of the whole entire point, right? That it's supposed to get harder to mine each incremental Bitcoin, which is why the price is supposed to go up in theory. Yes, I that's why it's highly unlikely. But, okay. <laughs> I mean, so we, we got a little case of wishful thinking here. Yeah. So the real resolution will come from increased Bitcoin price, which LOL, who knows if and when that'll come in time, especially for miners who need to improve their financial standing. We will see. Yeah. My last thought on this was that this could be just another headwind for Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin has had a pretty bad year. I know all of crypto has had a bad year. All of tech has had a bad year, but kind of following the Ethereum merge. And I mean, Bitcoin has been struggling for a while with this debate of like, do they want to expand beyond just being a currency into being more of an ecosystem and a network? Do they want apps to be built on top of the Bitcoin network? Or do they want to stay as this sort of like currency means of exchange? And I think at the end of the day, it's just sort of like, the group of people who are hardcore Bitcoin fans just seems to be dwindling and dwindling every single day as other ecosystems are solving a lot of the problems that Bitcoin doesn't really have the chance to solve. I mean, sure, they might be the most decentralized, but they also don't have like, you know, a sort of governing body that can respond to changes in real time and respond to user needs. Okay, so on our next topic, I promised that we were going to get to talking about CZ, 
who we are super excited to host at our crypto event. But the reason he's been in the news lately is that Binance recently poured $500 million into the Twitter deal, Elon Musk's takeover bid for Twitter. And it was a pretty rocky acquisition process. As we all know, we've like everyone at TechCrunch has been sort of back and forth on this and, you know, staying up at night trying to figure out what is going on. But basically, (laughs) CZ was super loyal. He decided to stick to his plans throughout the whole thing. And he was like, look, Elon Musk, like, I'm going to give you this money. It's all good. And Binance ended up being one of dozens of outside investors. So we had like VC firms, we had sovereign wealth funds backing this deal. But the sort of interesting part about this is that it could mark a little bit more alignment between crypto and Twitter as a social media platform. CZ actually said at Web Summit in Lisbon, which neither Jackie or I is currently attending, kind of sad about that. But (laughs) I know we have Connie from our team there right now. Basically, CZ said on stage that he would definitely take a board seat on Twitter if Elon asked him to. And it was funny because he's like, I would do it as a favor. You know, like I would do it as a favor to him. So yeah, I mean, if he asked me, I would would take a board seat too. Yeah, actually (laughs) at at Elon Musk, letting you know, (laughs) Jackie and I are both available. Not that I know anything about how to run Twitter, but hey. (laughs) I have a lot of opinions and I I don't want, I don't like this whole new verification system, but you know. (laughs) Elon has not yet asked me for my opinion, so I guess I'll keep that to myself. Right. I mean, a $500 million investment is a really big bet by a crypto company nonetheless. And they're not like a traditional tech company. They don't work in social media. And I'm sure there's a bunch of different points, but also I'm glad you brought up that CZ, uh, the conversation in Lisbon, because he also said while he was there, he's extremely supportive of freedom of speech. And that's the main reason why his company decided to invest in Elon's buyout, which is interesting. Yeah, do we buy that? Do we buy Maybe. that? That's the main reason. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I also do think that like crypto Twitter, as we call it, really does not have their own platform. And they have been using Twitter as a platform. Obviously, there's Discord, there's Telegram, there's Reddit, there's so many other like alternatives to engage in the crypto community. But at the end of the day, I really feel like Twitter is the one that takes the cake. So it does make sense that someone like CZ, the biggest crypto exchange in the world, would get involved in this buyout. Yeah. And perhaps free speech is a part of it. But I think that there is a clear sort of profit incentive, too, for Binance to make this investment. There always has to be. 500 million is not chump change here, right? (laughs) So... You know, when you think about what the opportunity is, I think it really has to go, it it comes back down to payments, right? I mean, CZ had basically said he wants to use this as an opportunity to broaden the use and adoption of crypto and blockchain tech. And I think payments is going to be the key catalyst in doing that. So Twitter hasn't done a ton in the crypto space so far, but they did recently announce that they're expanding this pilot program called NFT Tweet Tiles, which basically allows people to post NFTs that are listed on a couple of different crypto exchanges or NFT exchanges like Magic Eden, Rarible, Dapper, and Jump Trade. And then Twitter users will be able to basically click on NFTs that these people tweet and then purchase them directly from the corresponding exchange through Twitter. So it just removes another friction point and basically brings NFT transactions onto the Twitter platform. Super interesting because that is very different from what other big tech companies have done. Like we already know that Apple and Google are not really trying to encourage NFT transactions on their platforms, but Twitter has been, you know, showing signs that that's something that they want to do. And CZ also said at Web Summit that 
he hinted at the existence of Binance Pay and hinted that that could be a potential, you know, integration with Twitter that would allow people to basically transact in crypto directly through the Twitter platform. So there's a lot of potential and a lot of opportunity for Binance to make some money here if Elon Musk decides to focus on it, cares about it, etc. The other sort of interesting dimension here is that we have talked before on this show about Blue Sky, which is Twitter's decentralized social network experiment. And I was wondering to myself before this, like, okay, how does that fit into all of this? And what I basically found out is it turns out that Blue Sky is, while it was funded by Twitter, it was sort of Jack Dorsey's pet project. Dorsey's out at Twitter. So Blue Sky doesn't have that internal support from Twitter anymore, but they are really popular. They had more than 30,000 signups for their wait list in less than two days, and they've launched this decentralized social protocol. So people are actually saying that this could even potentially be an alternative or a replacement to Twitter, because I know a lot of people are not very happy with the Elon Musk takeover. So maybe they'll move to Blue Sky. Maybe they won't. I don't Listen, know. Anita, I worked hard <laughs> for my followers. I can't just leave Twitter. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and and that's the hard part, right? It's one thing, and this is what they always say beyond like our follower count or whatever, but even for big name people like Alex Wilhelm, our boss, editor-in-chief of TC+, he has 100,000 followers on Twitter. But what are the odds he's able to accumulate that same amount on a different platform? He's not well, Beyonce, but... He does have 100,000 followers. So it's it's a matter of if there's a will by all these people to move. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it actually sucks, too, because it's just another way that creators, you know, are being held in limbo. And mm -hmm. we don't know what exactly it is that's going to happen. I mean, I have my thoughts on the whole like blue check bullshit, but that's a topic <laughs> for another day. Right. <laughs> At the yeah. end of the day, it's sort of a wait and see situation. But I do think that that actually transitions really well into our next topic, which is also kind of about creators getting rug pulled. Yeah, exactly. So I wrote a story on this this week, actually, but it's super timely given what's transpiring over the past few months with NFT creator royalties. To give some background for those who are not deep in the NFT world, NFT creator royalties are similar to the way musicians or traditional artists or actors are paid for their work. They get that first primary run. They're given money later on than in form of royalties in the secondary market whenever their NFTs are resold. So it's kind of cool because unlike, you know, a traditional in real life art gallery where you get paid once when your painting is sold, you keep getting paid long after that primary sale. But this isn't enforced at the blockchain level. It's solely enforced by the NFT markets or the creators themselves. So it's up to them to enforce it. With that said, everything was... Which, yeah. <laughs> sorry to cut in here, but like that is absolutely wild to me because like the entire value add and the entire thing that people have been saying who are proponents of NFTs is that the reason this is such a cool technology is because it allows creators to get paid right. continuously. So the fact that it's not enforced on the blockchain level, like that might be news to a lot of people. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And also it's like people loved the NFT world because it gave back to the creators. But I don't think traders care as much. And we will get to that. But just a little more background on this. Creator royalties was a thing across all NFT platforms until about August, basically, when X2Y2, one of the biggest Ethereum-based NFT marketplaces, said, screw it, no more royalties. And since then, others have followed suit. Uh, we've seen it with Magic Eden. Looks Rare did a little bit of a modification last week. So basically, there's been a divergence across NFT platforms about how or should they be enforcing creator royalties. Obviously, some places like OpenSea and Rarible still fully enforce it. But other places like Looks Rare and Magic Eden have made it optional, kind of like a cute little tip jar, which um, we all know how that goes when you don't have to tip. 
many people just don't, especially when they're massive ticketed items like 10,000 plus, even 10% on that is a big, big tip, especially if they don't even want to tip or they don't have to, to begin with. Yeah. I mean, that's why they always put the like, you know, mandatory gratuity when you have a party of eight or more at a restaurant, (laughs) because if, I mean, a lot of people would just say, oh, that's a lot of money. Let me not do it. Like, I don't know. People have to be incentivized to do these things. But there's one thing that we were talking about a little bit before this, Jackie, and I wanted to like dig a little bit more into that. So Looksware specifically said that they were going to, instead of doing the creator royalties, they're going to split 25% of their protocol fee with creators as a way to sort of compensate them in a different way. What does that exactly mean? Like, I'm trying to make sense of that in my head. Yeah. So basically, Looksrare initially pulled back from the creator royalty fees and they lowered it to about 0.25%. And wow, it's almost like like the interest rate on savings. (laughs) Yeah. It's like tiny, tiny percent. For reference, the average royalty fee on places like OpenSea ranges from 2.5% all the way up to 10%. And basically, creators can either set that or a collection could set that percentage. So looks rare, really pulled back in that sense. And then last week, as you mentioned, they announced that they would no longer support creator royalties and by default would be splitting 25% of its protocol fee with creators and collectors as a way to give back to them in a different way. So it's almost like there are alternatives out there. This isn't the end-all be-all for you know creators and the way they get rewarded. And I think... There's a big question here of, is there a better way to support artists that doesn't involve royalties? Because the overall general consensus from NFT traders is that they don't care about royalties. And as sad and like messed up as that is, they just don't want to pay it. And we could see this by the fact that some of the leading NFT marketplaces are leading because they don't enforce royalties. Magic Eden, even though they got rid of royalties, they're also experimenting with protocol-enabled royalty enforcements. So some, but not all, creators can enforce royalties. Its CEO, Jack Liu, also told me that the move to optional royalties is not permanent. I think they do want to bring it back in a certain way, and this might be the start of bringing it back. And that is honestly, not to go on like another tangent, but that's a product of like the NFT market downturn And I think a lot of these platforms have gotten rid of royalties to get a bigger share of the market because traders will come to them if they don't enforce royalty fees. So then they're taking advantage of that. And then there's other players in the market who are like, no, creators deserve this. So it's like this big like seesaw back and forth of what should we do? It kind of reminds me of what's going on with crypto exchanges as well. We've seen this sort of race to zero fees and, you know, the exchanges that are able to provide the lowest cost transactions have been the ones that are able to acquire users, particularly in this market. You know, people aren't necessarily willing to pay the fee for like a better interface or a more seamless experience. They just care about having the lowest cost transaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really tough because when it comes to exchanges and transactions, traders have historically always been a really large part of that market, right? Like derivatives comprise a huge percentage of the crypto financial markets overall. So with exchanges, it sort of makes sense. But with NFTs, I've always seen them as a different sort of thing where like, what's the real value prop of an NFT? Why do we need NFTs? And like, who are the people who are interested in them? And I feel like the true value is actually driven by just art patrons, like people who want to appreciate art and people who want to support artists and like own that digital art for maybe like sentimental or emotional reasons. And that's always been like the true market value to me that I see in NFTs. So taking that away 
makes it just like another sort of, I guess, speculative asset. Like what is giving it underlying value? If it's really only a bunch of traders who are flipping NFTs like amongst themselves, how do you even go about valuing, you know, what, what's an artwork that people want versus don't? And that sort of, it almost like decouples the link between crypto and culture for me. Yeah. Like everybody always talks about how important that is. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. It also is like in the beginning, artists get paid, you know, the primary sale. And then after that, it's like, how do we continue to support them when we are, you know, using their collections, when we have their NFTs in our crypto wallets? What are ways that we can continue to support them into the future that might not be royalty fees, but there are other alternatives, kind of like what we saw with Looks Rare, splitting the protocol fee or a larger percentage of primary transactions, commission fees or optional percentages. But in general, unfortunately, in my opinion, I say unfortunately, it seems like the industry is trending toward a zero royalty world and exploring other ways to reward creators, which whether or not that is a positive on the NFT ecosystem and the crypto ethos as a whole, that's up for interpretation, kind of like what we were going through. Maybe this is optimistic of me, but I'll state a prediction and (laughs) I could totally be wrong, but I have a feeling there's going to be major backlash to this, which is probably why Magic Eden has already said that, you know, their move to optional royalties is not permanent. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there were so many artists and creators who are really high profile who were sort of like shepherding other artists into the space and saying like, hey, you guys, like you got to start creating NFTs. Like this is the new thing. This is the way to get paid. And all of a sudden, they're looking like major assholes, Not probably not their fault because they didn't know this was going to happen, but they're looking pretty bad because they brought all these new artists in, said, hey, you're going to be able to make money in this way, and now they're not going to be able to. So I have a feeling that, that a backlash is coming. And I think although these exchanges might try to go to a zero royalty world, I don't think it's going to be successful just because I don't think artists and creators are going to put up with it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So this week, I had a chance to write a piece that I thought was really interesting. It was about a new $30 million consumer-focused crypto fund from a solo female GP, which we don't hear about that often in venture in general, and especially not in crypto. Her name is Max Kala. She's based in Miami, and she has some pretty big LPs backing her, like Chris Dixon. She has the Paradigm co-founders. While it's a relatively small fund, I thought it was very significant that she was able to raise this in a bear market, in a market where female founders really just don't get that much backing. You can read more about her story on TechCrunch.com. It was a really interesting profile into what she's doing and a look into the future of consumer and crypto. I love that, Anita. I'm excited. I need to read that for sure. And for me, next week, I will be attending the Alliance Dow Demo Day, where I'll be listening to a bunch of cool Web3 startups and covering them. TechCrunch has the exclusive. Pat on my back there. But keep an eye (laughs) out for that and see what builders in the space are cooking up. I'm really excited to see what they're working on. We'll be back every week with the top news on the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Tuesdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform, and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us at Chain underscore Reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Anita Ramaswamy, along with my co-host, Jacqueline Melanick. We are produced by Yashad Kulkarni, and our associate producer is Maggie Stamets, with editing by Cal Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>